Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is Islanders Award Winners a monthly podcast examining seasons in which a New York Islander took home a major NHL award. I am your host, Dan Saracini. Today, we'll look at Mike Bossy's three Lady Bing Memorial trophies and how his dedication to sportsmanship shaped his career. We'll also throw in Pierre Turgeon's Lady Bing award-winning season too. Lighthouse Hockey is SB Nation's home for New York Islanders news and discussion. You can subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching Lighthouse Hockey in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or any podcasting app of your choice. Or you can listen right from our website at www.lighthousehockey.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes if you can, as it really does help raise our profile. And as always, thank you for listening. And now, on to Mike Bossy and Pierre Turgeon. Lady Bing Memorial Trophy, 1983, 84, 86... In 93. What is being tough? Is it not being afraid to punch somebody in the helmet? Is it hitting an opponent with your stick from behind? Or is it absorbing 10 years of punishment in front of the net and only answering by scoring goals? Mike Bossy in his autobiography, Boss, The Mike Bossy Story, 1988. As you've probably already figured out from the title, this episode is going to be a little different. And that's okay, because the NHL's relationship with its own Lady Bing Memorial Trophy is also a little bit different. Let's start with a little history. Marie Evelyn Morton was born in London in 1870. Her father worked as a comptroller under the then Governor General of Canada. In 1902, Evelyn, as she was known, married Colonel Julian Bing, 
who would continue rising up the ranks in the British military through conflicts in India, Egypt, France, Belgium, Australia, and England throughout World War I. His reputation and victories as a commander led to Julian being named Baron Bing of Vimy in 1919, and his exploits were so famous that a town in Oklahoma, of all places, is named Bing in his honor. Although they were often separated for months at a time, Evelyn did her part for the war effort too, converting the couple's estate into a hospital for wounded soldiers. In 1921, Lord Bing was named Governor General of Canada. He and Lady Bing moved to Ottawa, and both ended up falling in love with hockey, specifically the Ottawa Senators. It certainly helped that those 20 Senators teams were no joke. Known as the Super Six, Ottawa won four Stanley Cups and finished in first place seven times in the nascent NHL during the decade. By 1925, Lady Bing decided it was time to give back to the sport. She invited Senator star Frank Nybor to Rebo Hall to show him an award she had commissioned. Lady Bing asked Nybor if the NHL would accept the trophy as a prize for the league's most gentlemanly player. Nybor said he thought so, and so Lady Bing handed him that very trophy later that year, and thus the first Lady Bing trophy was awarded. Nybor won the first two Lady Bing trophies, but Frank Boucher of the New York Rangers soon became king of the award, taking it home seven times in eight years between 1928 and 1935. After that last time, he was told to just keep the damn thing, and Lady Bing donated a replacement. Lord and Lady Bing moved back to England in 1926, but continued to travel the world. He died in 1935, and she moved back to Canada at the advent of World War II. She settled back in Ottawa late in life, wrote several books, including her own autobiography, and did volunteer work for the Red Cross and the Royal Armed Services. After her death in 1948, an all-new second trophy was created by the NHL, once again named in her honor, but now called the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy. Officially, the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy is awarded to, quote, the player adjudged to have exhibited the best type of sportsmanship and gentlemanly conduct combined with a high standard of playing ability. These days, the winner is voted on by the Professional Hockey Writers Association, using a decreasing point system for a list of five candidates. Many of hockey's greatest all-time players have won it over the last 95 years, including five-time winner Wayne Gretzky, four-time winners Red Kelly and Pavel Datsuk, and others like Martin St. Louis, Ron Francis, Jean Rattel, and Dave Keon, among others. Perhaps most famously, Chicago's Stan Makita went from 90 and 100-plus penalty-minute seasons to a two-time Lady Bing winner and, simultaneously, a two-time Hart Trophy winner as the league's most valuable player. The New York Islanders have four Lady Bings in their trophy case, three of which belong to one man. And Mike Bossy's commitment to clean play started long before he was first awarded the trophy in 1983. In 1987, while mulling over retirement after 10 incredible seasons in the NHL, Mike Bossy wrote his autobiography entitled Boss, The Mike Bossy Story, along with New York Daily News and the hockey news writer Barry Meisel. While discussing his life and career, Bossy also went into great depth to explain his feelings about fighting, toughness, injuries, and intimidation in hockey. The book will be cited extensively throughout this podcast. The sixth of ten children born to Borden and Dorothy Bossy, young Michael first had a hockey stick in his hand when he was just two months old. 
his father was determined to have a professional hockey player in the family, and Mike took to the sport at a very early age. He worked his way up the ranks from peewee to midget to bantam to junior through his preteen and teen years. An induced move to the town of Laval meant Mike could be pulled into the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League's Laval National while also living at home with his family. In 1972, at the age of 16, he was invited to Laval's training camp and played for their lower-tier Junior B team the following season. He won the league's scoring title with 58 goals and 64 assists and led his team to the finals. But the truth was that Bossy was dreading the next four years of Junior A hockey. Major junior hockey in the 70s was packed with 19 and 20 year olds that were light on hockey skills and heavy on intimidation tactics, particularly towards younger, more skilled prospects. Brawls, spears, sucker punches, and worse were frequent throughout the games. Bossy wrote years later in Boss, quote, I knew that players who had no business being on the ice in the exhibition season, not to mention the QMJHL playoffs, started ugly brawls for no reason. Mike knew he didn't want to fight. His goal was to play in the NHL. He knew he could do it. The thing was, to get there, he was going to have to survive the gauntlet. Bossy described his major junior years as, quote, hell. Despite scoring over 300 goals and collecting an armload of individual awards, he hated the rampant, reckless, repugnant violence he witnessed and sometimes took part in. He endured massive amounts of abuse, and not just physically, but verbally as well, getting called gutless, chicken, and God knows what else, thanks to his general refusal to get involved. More than once, he pondered quitting, wondering if his NHL dream was worth all the trouble. Bossy had 70 goals and 118 points in his first major junior season, and was named the QMJHL's Rookie of the Year for 1974. But the Cretans had made their presence felt, and they weren't just on the ice. During a brawl-filled loss in Chicoutimi, Bossy and his teammates were assaulted by both players and fans, and had to avoid a damn biker gang just to get off the ice. In a move that would portend things to come, the then 17-year-old Bossy wrote an article published in the Montreal Gazette in which he criticized hockey violence and decried the feckless, phony toughness that characterized the era. Bossy wrote, quote, There has to be a difference between rough play and sadistic attacks trying to decapitate your adversary. This side of hockey confuses me enormously. Year two in junior was even more productive for Bossy, who finished with 84 goals and 65 assists for 149 points. But the brutality continued as well. He was jumped by two goons from Sorrel in one game after he and a teammate each had hat tricks. He had his nose broken thanks to a sucker punch by an enforcer named Daniel Horn, who played for Trois-Revoix, which gave Bossy a schnoz that's still crooked to this day. In both cases, the coaches for these development leagues sent their thugs after Bossy to intimidate or injure him. Bossy's philosophy was, quote, Each time you knock me down, I will get back up and score goals. In his third junior year, he still scored 79 times and had 136 points. He also picked, and won, an actual fight. Gilles Brunet was an agitator for Hull. In one game, Bossy had had enough of his cross-checks and slashes. He took out three years of frustration on Brunet's face, 
and later acknowledged how good it felt to finally fight back. But he regretted the entire incident moments after it was over, as sitting in the penalty box meant he couldn't be out there scoring even more goals. Going into his final junior season in 1976, Bossy was on a mission to be a first-round pick in the 1977 draft and to prove he was more than a one-dimensional offense-only player. Named Laval's captain before the season, he finished with another 75 goals and 126 points, and his 12 total penalty minutes helped him earn the league's Most Gentlemanly Player award. Bossy was also chosen for the QMJHL select team that would take on teams from Western Canada, Ontario, and the Soviet Union in a short tournament. In that all-star environment, without the goons and thugs chasing after him, Bossy shined, scoring five goals in six games and achieving levels of grittiness he knew the pro scouts in the crowd would take notice of. Turns out, one team was already watching. In January of 1977, New York Islanders scout Henry Saracino, no relation to yours truly, was quoted in a local Montreal paper saying that the team was very interested in selecting Bossy in that spring's amateur draft. Sure enough, the Isles got their man, taking Bossy 15th overall. We'll have a whole episode on Bossy's spectacular rookie season with the Islanders in our next season, so we'll skip ahead for now to his first NHL rookie camp. After passing his first Islanders physical, Bossy bruised his shoulder in a non-contact injury. While he was concerned about making a bad first impression, he was glad to miss two fight-filled games between the Islanders' rookies and their Rangers' counterparts. Once the full camp broke and he was still on the roster, the kid was put on a line with rugged winger Clark Gillies and center Brian Trottier. Sparks flew immediately. Bossy had 20 goals in his first 22 games as a pro. He adjusted to the faster NHL and hastily told reporters that the pro game was easier than juniors. Although he was talking about playing with world-class linemates, Bossy's words angered some other players, including a few islanders. One night in Detroit, two Red Wings would make sure that the hotshot had anything but an easy night. Bossy noticed winger Dan Maloney giving him the stink eye at the opening faceoff. Just as the game started, Maloney jumped Bossy, grabbed him by the jersey, and started tossing him around like a dummy. The Islanders won the game, but Bossy was clearly affected by the attack. He spent the rest of the 60 minutes anxious and looking over his shoulder while being shadowed all game by Detroit goon Dennis Polonich. Bossy said at the time, quote, It screwed up my game. It ruined my concentration. Trio Grande linemate Gillies told reporters, quote, Now that we have a reputation for being a high-scoring line, we will have to learn to handle the rough stuff. Trotz and I have had a good taste of that in the last couple of years. Bossy is going to have to learn how to handle it and keep going too. In Boss, Bossy wrote that he was ashamed of that game and how he was unable to shake off the goons as he had in junior. He righted himself by learning how to find holes on the ice and burying feeds from Trottier and Gillies, which he did often. Bossy finished that season with 53 goals, an NHL record for rookies at the time, and 38 assists for 91 points. But in his first NHL playoff action, finding holes on the ice would be the least of Bossy's concerns. The Islanders had finished first in their division and faced the Toronto Maple Leafs in the first round of the playoffs. The Leafs were pretty good, but not as talented as the Islanders. 
So Toronto coach Roger Nielsen came up with a game plan to simply out-hit them. Toronto would push and punch and pound the Islanders at every opportunity, starting with their top line. In every game, Leafs players like Tiger Williams, Jerry Butler, and Dan Maloney, the same Dan Maloney who had roughed up Bossy in Detroit earlier that season and who had been traded to Toronto that March, hacked and whacked and racked up penalty minutes, all in an effort to get the Islanders off their game. It worked. The Islanders won the first two games with Bossy scoring a greasy overtime goal in Game 2. The Leafs won the next two, and the Islanders won again in OT in Game 5. Every game was packed with brawls and scrums, mostly started by Toronto. Game 3 saw 14 combined penalties called on both teams. Game 4 was more than double that, with 30 penalties called for 111 total minutes, many coming after a bench-clearing game-ending brawl. In the second period of Game 6, Bossy became the victim of one of the series' most gruesome moments. While gathering the puck in the corner, Bossy was hit by Leafs winger Jerry Butler while he had his head down. Butler's stick hit Bossy's neck, and Bossy's head hit the boards. The Islander crumpled to the ice in a lot of pain. Bossy was fitted for a neck collar and stretchered off the ice. It's cleared around on the boards again, comes back to the blue line, then it's Buff Van over to Pearson. Pearson's pass to Bossy, and that will stop. Go to the boards, and Bossy was hit hard. Howard got all tied up. Bossy's down on the ice. Howard got involved with Turnbull and Palmateer as they scrambled in front of Palmateer. Now, uh, Williams back up there, and Bossy had two excellent scoring chances. He has very quick hands, a quick release with the puck. The trainer, Ron Woski, out there. General manager of the Islanders, Bill Torrey, the man with the glasses and the bow tie, his trademark. Very concerned look on his face. And now they have Bossy on the stretcher. Wellesley Hospital just four or five blocks away. Sportsmanlike crowd here at the gardens. And they applaud as Mike Bossy is taken off on a stretcher. What looked like it could be a broken neck turned out to only be a strain. And Bossy was back at Maple Leaf Gardens just as the game ended in another win for the Leafs. Butler was not penalized on the play, and no Islander avenged the hit on their team's star rookie. Afterward, Tiger Williams was characteristically churlish in his assessment of the Islanders. Quote, this is a pansy series, and the Islanders are a bunch of fairies. This series is over. The Islanders are dead. They have no guts. End quote. Bossy played in Game 7 at Nassau Coliseum, but the Islanders lost 2-1 on Lanny McDonald's overtime goal. It was another crushing playoff disappointment for the Islanders, and the way it went down made it even worse. The trio grande had come up very small, and the Islanders had been bullied. Bossy later wrote that it was, quote, a truly despicable series, another black mark on hockey. The hoodlums had won. Newsday columnist Joe Gergen wrote that the loss to a team they should have beaten was the Islanders, quote, first stumble on the way to glory. Mike Bossy won the 1978 Calder Trophy as NHL Rookie of the Year in a landslide 
over Rangers defenseman Barry Beck. He also finished fourth in the voting for the Lady Bing, collecting only six penalty minutes all season. Bossy would blow past even his own lofty expectations in year two, leading the league with 69 goals and finishing with 126 points. The Islanders had their best regular season yet, finishing first overall with a 51, 15, and 14 record for 116 points. But the old demons still haunted them. In a home game against the Flyers in January, the Islanders thrashed Philly 5-1. Flyers defenseman Dave Hoyda decided he wanted to find Bossy and get a piece of him, and smashed him into the boards at ramming speed with his elbows up. That set off Gillies, who furiously went after Hoyda. Well, Gillies really went uh, after Hoyda from behind, and now Gillies is really throwing some great uppercuts to Dave Hoyda. He didn't like the way that Hoyda run at Bossy in the corner, and it seemed like Gillies got more of the right hands in on Dave Hoyda. He hit him with about three or four good uppercuts and a couple of overhand rights. Hoyda is down on the ice, being held to by uh, the linesman Jim Christensen. Now Hoyda's up, and he still wants to get at Gillies. They'll be getting major penalties. We'll have to see exactly what if Gillies will get any, any extra. That fight incited a line brawl, and Bossy paired off with rookie defenseman Ben Wilson, who Bossy didn't think would want to fight a known non-fighter. Big mistake. Wilson shoved Bossy repeatedly, and when Bossy pushed back, Wilson began with the punching. That kicked off a literal bench-clearing brawl, with every player on both teams squaring off, including the goalies. Chico Resch even jumped in to try and pull Wilson off Bossy, and Gillies and Hoyta, already sent to the penalty box, came back out onto the ice for more. Ron Wicks now is really going to have his hands filled. Ben Wilson wanting to get at Mike Bossy. He was getting the upper hand, and that's when Rest came in to try and grab the hold of him. Now Wilson's still trying to carry on the fight. Now they've let him go. Here comes Rest again. And Wilson is really good. Now here comes Trottier and Lewis. Rest is coming in again to help him. Here, here comes Howard. Everybody's off the bench for the Islanders. Now here comes the Flyers, and we're going to have a real Donnybrook. Here's Billy Harris. Ran right into Bob Kelly, knocked him down to grab a hold of him. Well, the main the... bout was with Ben Wilson and Mike Bossy. Well, I've never seen this before. Now Hart has Ron... been turned over. Ron Wicks has got a score sheet out at center ice trying to keep track of all the penalties. Nystrom get a double minor in a game misconduct first off the bench. Both goaltenders for leaving their crease in an altercation. We could have third man in. We could have a host of penalties. We will have a host. Bossy joked that the fight and his five-minute, quote, getting the shit kicked out of you penalty, probably cost him his first Lady Bing trophy, telling Newsday's Pat Calabria, quote, I got more penalty minutes tonight than I did in my whole life. The full team skirmish was a coming-together moment for the Islanders, and Sports Illustrated said after the game, quote, the myth of the muscleless Islanders may have been put to rest. But the playoff heartbreaks definitely continued, with the primed and ready Islanders losing to the rival Rangers in the playoffs that spring. Bossy Gillies and Trottier were shut down again, and the team's future seemed in doubt. But it was after an 8-2 loss to the Rangers in January of 1980 that Mike Bossy took his boldest stance against fighting. The game was packed with hooks, holds, slashes, spears, and fights on both sides, totaling 66 minutes in penalties. Rangers coach Fred Shiro told reporters afterwards, quote, nobody played hockey in the third period. They were all trying to kill each other. 
On the day the U.S. Olympic team drew the attention of the hockey world by winning a gold medal, the Islanders and Rangers were doing all they could to set the sport back a decade. Bossy had seen enough. He told the New York Post's Larry Brooks that he would no longer fight and could possibly leave the game if the league continued on this path. Quote, If this is what hockey is going to be, then I'm going to get out of it. This isn't the way hockey is supposed to be played. People who watched the American team saw freewheeling hockey that's fast, exciting, and good to watch. Tonight, those people who may have turned this game on TV because of what they saw in the Olympics, well, I don't even have to say the obvious. It's not the same game. I'm not talking about taking a check. That's part of the game. I'm talking about all the cheap shots guys have to take in this league, especially guys who won't drop their gloves and fight. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to let this game turn me into a person I'm not. End quote. At the time of the game, the Islanders were muddling through an inconsistent, frustrating season. Bossy would finish with only 51 goals and 41 assists, and a grand total of just 12 penalty minutes. After they acquired center Butch Goring from the Los Angeles Kings on March 10th, the Islanders powered their way into the playoffs and looked to finally break through to the Stanley Cup final. A bruised thumb kept Bossy out of the first three games of a fight-filled quarterfinal series with the Boston Bruins, and he oddly found himself hoping to get out there amongst the chaos to support his teammates. He finally got back in for games four and five, where the Islanders eliminated the Bruins. After beating the Buffalo Sabres in the semifinals, the Islanders would reach their first Stanley Cup final, where their opponents would be the tough and talented Philadelphia Flyers. Just before the series began, Inside Sports Magazine published an article by Mike Bossy, in which the winger explained his reasons for no longer fighting and expanding on the topics covered by the Post article months earlier. The Inside Sports article didn't go over well in Philadelphia, either with the Flyers or their faithful. While Bossy was being shadowed on the ice by guys like Mel Bridgman, Paul Holmgren, and Moose DuPont, fans at the Spectrum were hurling insults at him along the glass, including homophobic epithets. Bossy expected the Flyers to take runs at him, but it was Bossy knocking down Bridgman in Game 1 while the Philly captain stood in his path on the way to a faceoff that really set the tone. Bossy expected Bridgman and the Flyers to retaliate, but that was that. Bossy kept clear of any fisticuffs, had four goals and seven assists in the six games, and the New York Islanders finally won their first Stanley Cup. When we come back, Mike Bossy continues to rack up the goals while staying above the fray, even when things got very scary. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Mike Bossy would take a lot of grief over his career for his anti-fighting comments, but he was proud of being, quote, the lone voice in the forest against it. He wrote in Boss, quote, I was the first NHL player to publicly call for a ban on fighting, but I knew I didn't stand alone. While the stodgy traditionalists cried with outrage, a lot of players in the NHL who wanted to say what I said but realized a shut mouth was safer than a fat lip stood silently behind me. End quote. Winning a championship and finally saying enough to fighting gave Bossy the confidence to try something that had not been done in the NHL in over 35 years. He wanted to score 50 goals in 50 games like Maurice the Rocket Richard had in the 1944-45 season. The chase put even more pressure on Bossy to keep pace, often by scoring multiple goals to make up for lost time. 44 games into the 1980-81 season, he had 40 goals and was really feeling anxious. That was when Islanders GM Bill Torrey called him into a meeting with Coach Al Arbor. Bossy was told by Torrey that a person had called Nassau Coliseum that day and threatened to kill him. The caller made no mention of the 15-50, and Torrey and Arbor had not told Bossy before the game in order to not worry him. Bossy and his wife Lucy were understandably terrified. This was way beyond some goons chasing him around the ice. Suddenly, Bossy's hockey drive could mean life or death. The Bossies were tailed by detectives for a time, and grew increasingly paranoid both home and out. Ultimately, nothing came of the threats, and with two goals scored in the final five minutes of Game 50, Bossy achieved his goal. Tried to set up Bossy in this period, right to Trotche to Bossy, shoots, he scores! Mike Bossy has his 50th goal! A standing ovation, 50 for Bossy, a minute 29 left in this game. Off the bench come the entire New York Islander team. It's a penalty, possibly, but they don't care, leaving the bench for such an occasion as perfect. Jake McCall, 50 goals. He started with a minute and 29 seconds left. He still has a chance to break it. And how about Brian Trotche? He's been hesitating, holding, trying to get the puck to him, and they've done it again. Trotche beats Graham to the right. Michael Bossy, 50 goals in 50 games. He's got to feel so much better and so much relief. He may get the other one. Bossy finished with 68 goals in the 1980-81 season, and the Islanders took home a second straight cup, beating the Minnesota North Stars in a five-game final. Through the next calendar year, Bossy would be named Team Canada's Most Valuable Player at the 1981 Canada Cup Tournament, earned an All-Star Game MVP award after a two-goal performance for the Wales Conference, and produce a third 60-goal season and a career-high 147 points. In their third straight appearance in the Stanley Cup Final, the Islanders would face the Vancouver Canucks and two old acquaintances, former Leafs coach Roger Nielsen and terrible Tiger Williams. Despite all of his individual and team success since that disastrous series against the Maple Leafs five years earlier, Bossy never forgot about his treatment at the hands and words of Tiger Williams. 
This time around, Bossy was determined to add a Con Smythe trophy as playoff MVP to his mantle. And no matter what Tiger did to him, hooking, punching, cross-checking, Bossy kept getting up and scoring more goals on Canucks goalie Richard Brodeur. He finished with seven in the series, matching Jean Beliveau's NHL record, and was named the winner of the 1982 Conn Smythe Trophy as the Islanders swept their way to cup number three. Bossy also came in second in Lady Bing voting in 1982 and finished third in voting for the Hart Trophy as NHL MVP behind winner Wayne Gretzky and linemate Trottier. In the 1982-83 season, Bossy had his third consecutive 60-plus goal season and fourth overall, and the Islanders won their fourth straight Stanley Cup, sweeping the hot-shot Edmonton Oilers in four games. Bossy called that final the most satisfying moment of his career and the fourth cup the sweetest of all. That was also the season in which he took home his first Lady Bing Memorial Trophy as the NHL's most gentlemanly player. His 191 votes were 10 more than Boston's Rick Middleton, who had won the award the previous year. Ironically, Bossy's 20 penalty minutes for the season were almost three times more than Middleton's eight. No matter. Bossy took home the trophy, surprising even himself after years of being in the running and coming up short of first place. Quote, I was happy to get the Lady Bing, but I didn't understand what I did that particular year that I hadn't done in years past. I guess it was just my turn. His turn would extend to the next season, too. Bossy won his second straight Lady Bing Memorial Trophy in 1984, beating Rick Middleton again, this time by 50 votes. Bossy finished with just eight penalty minutes for the season. Unfortunately, his goal scoring came down, too. Bossy had just 51 goals that season, one he called, quote, physically and statistically a disappointment. The Islanders made their fifth straight final, but the Oilers were the ones hoisting the cup this time. Older and hurting after years of incredibly high-end play, the Islanders were about to begin the downswing. And even Mike Bossy, still just 27 years old at the time, was feeling the effects of time on his skills. He led the team with 58 goals and 117 points in 1984-85, and was 6th in the NHL in scoring, but fell to 4th in Lady Bing voting with a career-high 38 penalty minutes. His team, though, had bigger problems. Management insisted that they were still a contender, even as injuries and age had left the roster needing more than just the hunger to win. In Bossy's words, they needed a major overhaul. Despite those issues, Bossy had a spectacular 85-86 season, finishing fifth in the league in scoring and coming in sixth in Hart Trophy voting. His 61 goals and 62 assists gave him 123 points, the third best total of his career. That season also saw Bossy score his 500th goal and 1,000th point in a span of three weeks. His almost inconceivable ninth consecutive 50-goal season set an NHL record that he still holds to this day. The playoffs were a huge disappointment, though, as the Islanders were swept in three games by the Capitals in the first round. Bossy did score his 83rd career playoff goal, putting him ahead of Rocket Richard as the NHL's all-time leader. Bossy also won his third Lady Bing Memorial Trophy in a landslide over runner-up Yari Curry of Edmonton. Bossy's 217 total votes were 117 more than Curry's 100, and his 33 first-place votes were more than four times Curry's seven. 
At training camp in 1986, under New Islanders coach Terry Simpson, Bossy completed a drill and felt a sharp, burning pain in his lower back. This seemingly innocuous sensation set off years of torment and treatments and was the first stage of the end of Mike Bossy's incredible career. Through waves of back pain, Bossy continued to play and wanted a 10th straight 50-goal season. He still had hat tricks and hit milestones, like achieving 6th place on the NHL's all-time goal-scoring list, but the season was not up to his standards. When it was over, Bossy finished with 68 games played and 38 goals, both career lows. Hockey had become, in his words, quote, tedious and painful. Towards the end of the 1986-87 season, Bossy was the subject of a tape piece for Hockey Night in Canada that looked over his career. Bossy rarely participates in skirmishes and has this to say about fighting. I've never been for fighting. I, I don't fight. Um, I think that after watching certain college games and, and certain junior hockey games that uh, I watch them play with complete face shields and, and uh, I, I, I see hockey is very dangerous. It looks more dangerous to me watching them play than, than being involved in a National Hockey League level with fighting. I, I don't think that you should eliminate fighting completely. I think the penalty should be stiffer to make people think twice about whether they, they really want to get involved in a fight or not. As his back was deteriorating, so was his patience for shrugging off the checks and hits of other players. In a game at the Garden, he was given 14 minutes in penalties for taking his frustrations out on both Rangers agitator Jan Eriksson and referee Kerry Frazier. Later, Bossy was given his first misconduct in eight years for getting his stick up into the grill of Canadians forward Guy Carboneau, who had grazed him earlier in the game. Of that incident, Bossy was ashamed. His back had not only affected his skill, but it was also affecting his mind and causing him to lose control. Around this time, Bossy's friend Trottier wrote a scathing editorial in the Hockey News about how referees had allowed cheap shots and goonery to clog and ruin the game. Trottier wrote in part, quote, It's not that the refs are incompetent. Most have the ability to call a good game. It's just that for some reason they are unwilling to enforce the rules strictly and consistently. Maybe they don't want penalties all the time. Maybe they don't want to affect the outcome of games. In the long run, they are affecting the quality of the sport and the mentality of the player. End quote. Trottier was fined $1,000 by the NHL for his comments. Bossy, of course, was in full agreement with the editorial and was pleased that it was Trottier's name on the article, as he felt that drew more attention to it than it would have gotten if Bossy himself had been going off on fighting yet again. On March 19, 1987, Bossy took a hit from rugged forward Sean Burr in a game against the Red Wings that made every ounce of his body hurt. He knew the end was here. He played one more regular season game against the Rangers at Nassau Coliseum and was hampered and hurting after a potentially debilitating hit from defenseman Ron Greshner. Quote, If I couldn't get out of the way of Ron Greshner, one of the slowest skaters in the NHL, I had no right playing. End quote. Bossy came back for the 87 playoffs, but missed more games with injury. When he could play, he wore a knee brace and was ineffective as the Islanders lost in the second round. While the season was a crushing disappointment for him, 
Bossy still finished fourth in Lady Bing voting, including getting two first place votes. He hoped some time off during the summer would heal his ailing back. It didn't. Islanders GM Bill Torrey offered to trade Bossy to Montreal if it would make him feel more comfortable. Bossy chose to remain an Islander and wanted, more than anything, to just feel normal again. When the team began the season, Torrey announced that the team's plans didn't include Mike Bossy until he could be fully healthy. He sat out the entire 87-88 season, wrote his autobiography, and attempted to find any solution for his back issues. In July of 1988, the Islanders didn't offer Bossy a contract extension, instead opting for a, quote, personal services contract, effectively hiring him to make appearances on behalf of the team. Bossy turned the contract down and said he would look elsewhere for an opportunity to play. But one never came. On October 25th, 1988, Mike Bossy retired from the NHL at the age of just 31. He scored 573 goals and 553 assists, won four straight Stanley Cups, a Conn Smythe Trophy, played in seven All-Star games, won three Lady Bing Memorial Trophies, and had nine straight 50-goal seasons in his 10-year career, all for the New York Islanders. He and Wayne Gretzky share the record for career 60-goal seasons with five. Bossy made himself one of the best players in NHL history while overcoming decades of physical and verbal abuse, all because of his refusal to use his hands for something other than scoring or preventing goals. In the end, his body couldn't overcome the punishment it had absorbed across a lifetime of hockey. Bossy's drive to be considered a complete hockey player and not just a goal scorer forced him to go into the corners and stand in front of the net and take the beatings that came along with that. In Boss, he wrote that he regretted that ambition, but at his retirement press conference a few months later, and perhaps with some time to reflect on his career, he changed his stance a little. Quote, Throughout my junior career, and probably until after we won the first cup against Philadelphia, I was known as a wimp because I couldn't fight, and I felt I had to prove every day that I wasn't. That could have been the undoing of my professional career in that last season, but I'll never regret doing it. Although the number of fights in the NHL continues to dwindle each year, dangerous hits still occur frequently, even the kind that Mike Bossy had railed against since he was 17 years old. Five years after Bossy's retirement, another cheap blindside hit would befall an Islanders All-Star. Pierre Turgeon had come to the Islanders in one of the biggest trades in franchise history. First overall pick in the 1987 entry draft, Turgeon was acquired from the Buffalo Sabres with Uwe Krupp, Benoit Hogue, and Dave McIlwain for Pat LaFontaine, Randy Hiller, Randy Wood, and a fourth-round pick. Turgeon was essentially asked to replace the Islanders' best player and offensive focal point. While fans may have been heartbroken to see a squabble with management force the loss of LaFontaine, they quickly came to love the new big center with the smooth moves and soft hands. Although we only spent two years in junior hockey, Turgeon's scoring numbers in the QMJHL were, like Mike Bossy's, outstanding. And also like Bossy, it was how Turgeon acted when the fist started flying that got attention too. And not always positively. As part of Team Canada at the 1987 World Junior Championships, 
Turgeon was present for one of the ugliest incidents in the tournament's history. On January 4, 1987, in Piastani, Czechoslovakia, a potential medal game between Team Canada and their longtime rivals the Soviet Union devolved into fight-filled chaos. Cold War tension and smaller skirmishes gave way to 20 full minutes of brawling in the second period. Sucker punches, headbutts, and haymakers were happening all over the ice. The game got so out of control that the over-their-head refs turned the arena lights out as a way to get the fights to stop. Benches cleared, and players from both entire teams paired off. Well, almost both teams. 17-year-old Pierre Turgeon was one of the few players to not jump over the boards and get involved in the fracas, even as some of his teammates were being double-teamed. Eventually, Canada coach Bert Thompson all but ordered Turgeon to go out there. He did, but he still didn't engage. The aftermath of what became known as the punch-up in Piastani was severe. Both Canada and Russia were ejected from the tournament, costing Canada a silver medal. Players were sent home in the middle of the night, their statistics expunged from the official record, and they were also banned from international competition for six months. Turgeon was one of the few players on Team Canada that wasn't suspended, but he faced a different kind of punishment. Coaches, media, and his own teammates heavily criticized his reluctance to fight and saddled him with the dreaded soft label. Fellow player Everett Sanipas called Turgeon, quote, a dog for, quote, just sitting there with his head down. He wouldn't get his ass off the bench. Ironically, the infamy of the punch-up in Piastani helped raise the profile of the World Junior Tournament in Canada, making it a point of national pride every year. Decades later, Turgeon was still nicked for being soft 
and was still asked about the incident. He recalled in 2017, quote, I didn't get paid to fight. It wasn't my job, and I'll be honest with you, I was happy it wasn't part of my job. I just wanted to play. In his first five NHL seasons, four with the Sabres and one with the Islanders, Turgeon was both incredibly productive and remarkably clean. He averaged 36 goals in a little over 23 penalty minutes per season and was a regular in Lady Bing Memorial Trophy voting, finishing fourth four times. But 1992-93 would be Pierre Turgeon's best season. The then 23-year-old set career highs with 58 goals, 74 assists, and 132 points and played in his second All-Star game. He paced the plucky but undermanned Islanders to a 40, 37, and 7 record and 87 points, good enough for a third-place finish in the Patrick Division. In that season's final home game against the Devils, Turgeon was awarded the team's most valuable player award from Sports Channel and former Islanders captain Ed Westfall. Ladies and gentlemen, you, the Sports Channel subscribers, once again, have uh, voted for the most valuable player and uh, I don't think it's really any doubt in anybody's mind a two-time winner one of the most exciting hockey players in the National Hockey League today the Sports Channel Islander most valuable player Pierre Turgeon voted by you as our most valuable Sports Channel player this 1992-93 season, and we'll be back to the Nassau Coliseum right after this. The Islanders faced the Washington Capitals, who had finished second in the division in the first round of the playoffs. The Isles lost the first game, but won the next three in either overtime or double overtime. A loss at the Cap Center in Game 5 set up a possible deciding game at Nassau Coliseum. Turgeon in particular had killed the Caps all series, with three goals and three assists in the first five games. Up 4-1 midway through the third period, and with a clinching looking imminent, Turgeon stole the puck from Washington captain Dale Hunter deep in the Caps zone, broke in alone on goalie Don Beaupre, and scored the Islanders' fifth goal of the game. Turgeon looked up at the crowd and began to pump his fist when Hunter, coming from the other side of the zone, charged him from behind smashing Turgeon into the glass and sending him crumpling to the ice. A mass brawl ensued, with every player on the ice exchanging punches. I'm afraid he's behind his own net. They already started singing, hey, hey, goodbye. Turgeon scores! And he got dinked by Dale Hunter, and it's all open up now. Well, that was just frustration. Hunter saw the goal. The puck was in, there was no play, and he is a fierce competitor. I can't say I agree with his tactics there, but I know his heart, and he cannot stand to lose, and that's why he did what he did. Hockey doesn't need that. No, you're absolutely right, Gary. Hunter's got to keep himself under control. I mean, that, he could seriously have injured Turgeon and may have because he drove him right into the boards. Yeah, you can see it hard. See, the, the thing that makes it dangerous, Turgeon is not expecting a hit at all. He's celebrating a goal. He's completely relaxed. 
And Hunter comes in. He comes in real hard right here. Kershaw's off balance. And it's the shoulder, the right shoulder, that hits the boards first. Wow. Bad, bad play. Hunter was ejected from the game while Turgeon was tended to by an Islanders trainer and let off the ice. Hunter was immediately and correctly vilified for his actions. He tried to plead something by saying that he didn't even know that Turgeon had scored. Yeah, okay. Jeff Jacobs of the Hartford Current called Hunter, quote, a cowardly cheap shot artist. Always was, always will be. The Washington Post's own Christine Brennan wrote, quote, Apparently, Hunter decided that if he was going to miss the rest of the playoffs, Turgeon should too. An eye for an eye, NHL style. The Caps organization was excoriated for avoiding media after the game. After about a week, new NHL commissioner Gary Bettman leveled his first major sentence on a player, suspending Hunter for 21 games the following season, then the longest suspension ever issued by the league. Turgeon was diagnosed with a separated shoulder. While not as bad as originally suspected, it would still keep him out of the majority of the Islanders' second-round series against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins. The series was seen as a titanic mismatch, but David Volek's earth-shattering overtime goal in Game 7 cemented one of the biggest upsets in playoff history. Sadly, the Islanders' run would end at the Prince of Wales Conference Finals against the Montreal Canadiens. They would lose in five games to the eventual Cup champion Habs, including once in overtime and once in double overtime. Turgeon had two goals and three assists in the series as he gamely tried to get his team to their first Stanley Cup final in nine seasons. Not much was expected of that Islanders team, but they gave their fans an electrifying playoff run that will never be forgotten. On June 17, 1993, Pierre Turgeon finally took home the Lady Big Memorial Trophy, beating out Boston's Adam Oates and, ironically, Buffalo's Pat LaFontaine, the man who he was traded for. All three collected tons of goals and points that season, but relatively few penalty minutes. Turgeon had the lowest total of all the finalists, which is 26. Turgeon's 164 Lady Bing votes were 60 more than Oates' 104, and his 23 first place votes were more than double what the Bruins' center got. He also finished fifth in Hart Trophy voting as NHL MVP. The humble Turgeon told reporters after receiving the Lady Bing, quote, I'm kind of surprised. It could have easily gone to Adam or Patty. I'm happy. Someday, it might be nice to win another kind of trophy. End quote. 1993 Lady Bing would be the only major award Pierre Turgeon would win in his 19-year NHL career. He finished third in Lady Bing voting in 1994 and received votes for the trophy in nine more seasons. Turgeon scored 515 goals and 812 assists to average more than a point a game for nearly two decades. He had 35 goals and 62 assists and 109 career playoff games, but was never part of a Stanley Cup winning team. And as of this recording, he hasn't gotten a call from the Hockey Hall of Fame. While Hunter's vicious hit on Turgeon happened well after the Lady Bing voting was already done, it is emblematic of what Mike Bossy had been railing about for decades. One player using a cheap shot to intimidate or willfully injure another player not known for physically pushing back. In that moment, Pierre Turgeon's mind was on scoring a goal and winning a playoff series. Dale Hunter's was on bloody revenge. 
While deliberating Hunter's 21-game suspension, Commissioner Bettman said, quote, We want to send a clear message that the NHL will not tolerate such actions. Considering that the league has handed out 13 other suspensions of 20 games or more in the 26 subsequent years, not to mention dozens of multiple game suspensions for similar attacks, it's clear that there's still work to do. Other Islanders have flirted with Lady Bing over the years. Miko Makala, Pat LaFontaine, Kenny Janssen, and Franz Nielsen all received votes for the award over a two-decade-plus span. But one Islander came closer to taking home the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy than any since Turgeon's win in 1993. Matt Molson arrived on Long Island in 2008 as a bargain basement free agent signing and became a three-time 30-goal scorer. It might have been four if not for the 2013 lockout. Molson's style was to rarely stray too far from the net mount, meaning he took a lot of physical abuse from the league's defenders on a nightly basis. And yet, he accrued just 10 total penalty minutes in two seasons, six in 2011-2012 and four in 2012-2013. Molson finished third in Lady Bing voting in both seasons, each time appearing on the most total ballots from voters. He just didn't get enough first place votes to win the trophy. Despite a pedigree that counts among its winners some of the greatest players the sport has ever seen, the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy is often derided and diminished as an acknowledgement that nobody wants. Requests for it to be renamed after an NHL player are frequent, as are calls for PHWA members to put a little more thought into the voting beyond guy with a lot of points and not a lot of penalty minutes. But the trophy has a lot of unique properties. With 90-plus years of history, the Lady Bing Trophy is, by far, the longest-standing award for in-game sportsmanship in all of North America's major sports. The NBA Sportsmanship Award was first awarded in 1996 for, quote, the player who most displays the ideals of sportsmanship on the court with ethical behavior, fair play, and integrity. And its trophy was named in honor of its first winner, former Pistons star Joe Dumars. In 2015, the NFL added the Art Rooney Award, which recognizes, quote, outstanding sportsmanship on the playing field, and is named for the Steelers' founder and owner. Major League Baseball, NASCAR, and the PGA do not have awards for in-game sportsmanship. The Lady Bing is also one of the very rare awards in a male league to be named after a woman, let alone a person who wasn't a player, executive, or owner. And so the Lady Bing represents more than just being a nice person. As Jonathan Willis wrote for Bleacher Report in 2015, quote, Sportsmanship is one of the highest virtues of any sport. Playing the game fairly and well, respecting one's competitors and exhibiting self-control in the face of provocation are the kinds of things that sports are supposed to teach all of us. It's easy for hockey fans to be obsessed with winning to the point that they forget it's ultimately a game. The Lady Bing Trophy, at its best, is a reminder of the higher goals of hockey. End quote. Personally, my philosophy on the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy and sportsmanship in hockey is much more simple. If it was good enough for Mike Bossy, it should be good for everyone else. Islanders Award Winners is written, produced, and edited by Dan Saracino. Research and other assistance provided by Kevin Schultz. You can read more about Long Island hockey history at Kevin's project, lihockeyhistory.com, or at its Twitter account, at lihockeyhistory. You can also visit Kevin's shop at VintageIceHockey.com 
where you can buy t-shirts, hoodies, and mugs featuring the logos of over 100 classic hockey teams. Use the code LIGHTHOUSE15 to save 15% off your order and donate a portion of the sale to the Center for Dementia Research in the name of Coach Al Arbor. Check out Lighthouse Hockey every day for your most up-to-date Islanders news and discussion. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a thing. Thanks for listening. See you next time.